Hey, thank you guys for watching and listening to Ultra Light, the show about business, life, and relationship. I have a special guest today, Jim Rhodes. Sounds right. You did? Jim Rhodes is here to talk about uh, his business experience. He's uh, started since uh, the 24th. Sorry, I'm 24. Yeah, 24. See, I remember. Yeah, you did. I, I did my own. <laughs> right. We had some technical difficulties before we started. So, um, uh, He started business when he was 24. He's had a lot of experience. I'm going to be sharing with you how to start your own business. But before we do that, uh, Jim, why don't you share with us uh, your experience, what you've learned through uh, business and just what you've why Why do you feel like you can share with us how to start a business? Sure. From your experience. Yeah, I'll back up. And, you know, before, my main career now is car business. I've been in automotive consulting, and in particular on the buy here, pay here business, um, for now 17 years, in the car business, 20 years. But prior to that, I was in the uh, retail, pawn business, sporting goods business. So, yeah, at age 24, you know, that's almost 30 years ago for me. So I've been a lot of places and been involved in multiple businesses. But I was a partner in that business at a young age. I learned a lot through that experience. Uh, that first business was profitable. And I wish I could say that about all the businesses I've been involved in, but that one was uh, profitable. So it was a, uh, that's good I thought they were all you know, all going to be profitable, of course. But, uh, of course. Uh, but it was a, a really good learning experience. That was back in Oklahoma, which is, you know, where I'm originally from. So I came from a farm and ranch and kind of saw that kind of business and then stepped into uh, retail and sporting goods and then later the pawn business. But because I've been through that situation so many times, and I think more importantly professionally, my primary work is in consulting car dealers. I've helped the dealerships start in lots of places. I've now been in dealerships in my particular expertise uh, in 26 states. So I've been a lot of places with, uh, with these businesses and have helped start from scratch. 26 states I've been in professionally. And so some of those dealerships we started, sometimes I was out there providing uh, consulting to teach them how to do business better uh, or solve a problem in their business. But uh, I think the point about that is that I have, um, I've, we've helped people get into this business that were not even business owners or maybe not even from this field. Uh, so it's um, we're, we're used to starting business, helping them learn how to structure uh, for this particular segment. But of course, a lot of what we teach applies to most any kind of business. Great. Um, why, how, why specifically dealerships? Uh, how did that happen? Well, it was kind of a uh, weird situation. When I left the retail business, this was in 95, um, I had no real plan for what I was going to do next. I just knew I had a mortgage to pay and needed to get the bills paid. So I stepped in the car business as a way to just step into sales, as a way to pay my bills. So I figured out what I was going to do for a living, you know, do when I grew up, I guess. But I, uh, I had a lot of success there. I, I was uh, making good living, and I was able to transition into management in that uh, work. And I've been in the, the retail side of the car business and a franchise business uh, for about three years. I had an opportunity to uh, step into this buy here, pay here segment, which is really just help your listeners understand that's, that's the dealerships that do in-house financing for folks that have credit trouble. So we call that customer the unbankable customers, those folks who can't qualify for conventional financing, so they rely on dealerships to provide a financing solution for them. And so that's most of what I've done. So is that the ones you see 500 down? And, right. Uh, we something like bad that. credit, okay, you see all those signs. Those are the dealerships typically that are offering 
financing on site, and they make the judgment themselves. They make their own financing decision. And with my clients, most of my clients will service and collect those payments from the customer throughout the life of the loan. So that's that's true by your payer. Make the loan decision themselves, collect the payments from the customer themselves, and provide the financing that way. Great. Yeah. So do you uh, any of those little secrets you can share with us how they do that? Well, I'd say, you know, one of the things I, I've learned, and, and, of course, dating back to my own business experience, I remember the first business that I had I said was successful. The second business I operated for about three years, and it broke even and about broke me, just, you know, it took a lot of my time, and I finally had to give up that business after three years. But the, the thing I learned through that experience is I've, I've often told people, and I even wrote an article that you find out there, I think it's on LinkedIn, called No Cheerleaders. And what I mean by that is when we're starting a business, we really need to seek advisors who are willing to tell us, you know, if the baby is ugly, as they say, you know, they need to tell us if our business model is flawed. And so it's often we seek out advice from friends and family members, and because they think we want them to be supportive, they'll just kind of give us a pep talk and, yeah, go for it. You know, we have faith in you and just go do it. Um, and that's not what we need, I think, when we're starting a business. We really need people who can validate the plan that we're talking about, you know, acting on and uh, who can help us, you know, give us good sound advice and judgment at those junctures. So I'm happy to do that. When I have people ask me, I just caution them, you know, are you are you really, you know, open to some some good critical advice and, and because I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be that kind of advisor for you. I'm going to tell you, you know, exactly what I think, and I would urge you to get advice from other sources as well, but I'm going to tell you exactly what my perspective is on it, because I feel like that's what people are, are looking for. And frankly, as a consultant who's traveled the way that I have, I think that's, you know, are there people around perhaps that know the business better than I do? Maybe, but I certainly have a unique perspective on this business with that kind of experience, and so that's what I feel like the clients are asking me to provide is, what is your perspective based on what you've seen other other businesses do, their best practices? That's my job when I'm there is to share with them exactly what I see that other leaders do successfully. And so that's that's uh, what I try to do for any business, you know, whether we're starting a, a shoe store or whatever we're doing. I try to give advice. It's my perspective on the situation. And sometimes that's not what people want to hear, but I think they have to be receptive to, to that sort of feedback. So you said uh, no chilling leaders. So how do you differentiate the difference between naysayers? And because what I've learned is that besides uh, naysayers, that's mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. one part sure. of the question. But the other part is uh, experts. Everyone has an opinion. Right. Right. Everyone wants to give it to you. Too. Right. Right. I've had to learn to be like, oh, right. Or just to go, flush, flush. Right. Right. Flush. Sure. What I've learned is like, well, what are you doing? Yeah. Are you in this field? Of course. What kind of success and experience you have? Correct. Now, I don't ask them. I usually know, or it's like if I was going to start selling cars, I'd listen to you for advice. Of course, right? That right. Um, I'd ask for. You know, right. I'd ask for. But I know it's a lot. Of, what do you do with the naysayers and the people that are experts? You know, I tend to dismiss those. I take them on balance with the rest of the advice. I'd be getting feedback from a number of sources, and in that group, I would expect I would encounter some naysayers and I would encounter some cheerleaders, and I would be making my judgment on the feedback that I get in totality. But I think the key thing there is, you know, as somebody who's a professional giving professional advice, too often I see that people will hire an expert, come out and give their perspective, and then they end up taking time to kind of say, well, we, we want to do it differently, or we have our own ideas, and that's perfectly fine. At the end of the day, they pay advice as their business, 
But I think really what I would say is whether it's my advice or someone else, you want to listen to that advice. Now, you make the judgment later whether you're going to act on it, but I think you have to listen openly and be uh, receptive and be prepared to adjust your business plan according to that feedback. We just have to be able to listen and accept the feedback. Right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something in your application. Uh, uh, you were talking about the Salt Lake market. What would be the difference between like opening up a dealership here or starting a business here in Salt Lake? Sure. As opposed to wherever you've been to recently. Right. Yeah, I have a good perspective on that. Having traveled as much as I have, I first came to Salt Lake in 08 and helped set up a dealership. And, of course, I made two or three visits helping get that business in motion. So my exposure to Salt Lake at that time was interesting. And I met a lot of young people who were very uh, well-educated and they were enthusiastic about business. There just seemed to be a real strong entrepreneurial culture here. And I really enjoyed that because it, it sort of energized me to be around people that are, you know, fired up about being in business. So I saw that then. And when I made the decision to move out last summer, I just moved into Salt Lake last uh, July, so it's been about a year. During this year, I've seen that all those things that I witnessed back in 08, 09, and those visits have really been true. And I can tell you that I personally have advanced my business more in the last 12 months than I did in the prior 12 years, just by virtue of being plugged into this community, um, you know, developing resources and getting connected. But I just see the environment here is such that it supports entrepreneurship, you know, it promotes entrepreneurship, and, uh, and I just find that people in general, the people that I've met, are willing to try to give a hand up to somebody else trying to get their business going, and I, you just don't see that everywhere. You know, I've, like I said, I've been a lot of places professionally, and I just recall that when I visited an NOA, uh, are there other places, San Francisco, Dallas, other places you might experience the same thing? I'm sure that's true, but I can tell you I definitely noticed a difference when I visited Salt Lake, and I found that to be true during my time here. So number two, you were saying, you know, listen, avoid television. Yeah, I think we're guilty sometimes. We have an idea about our business that we, we want to run with, and we are guilty sometimes of getting tunnel vision. And this goes back to what I'm saying about not listening to advice. You know, seek advisors um, and then listen and be prepared to adapt your business model based on that feedback that you get. So I think, you know, when I say listen, I just mean we've got to avoid getting that tunnel vision where we get our mindset about how this business is going to work and I met a gentleman this week who kind of challenged me on my own thinking on one of my business uh, strategies, and he was right. It's worth looking at my, my uh, proposal differently. So the idea is that you have to be able to not get so fixated on your business plan that you are going to march ahead irrespective of the advice and the feedback that you get. I think we just all can be guilty of that. And so that would be, you know, one of the suggestions for no matter what kind of business we're starting. You know, if we think we can sell purple basketballs because nobody else in the marketplace is selling purple basketballs, you know, we just we need to go prove that that's really a sound business model. And the good not thing just, is oh, not just the just a different idea. Just a wild idea. We want purple. That's right. And we have to establish that there is a demand for that, and we'd have to validate that before we march off and start uh, seeking investors or putting money at risk. I think we have to do that. So in that example, you know, I think we have we have a responsibility to ourselves and any others who would be involved in that to validate that and be able to, you know, not, not just because it's an idea and we don't see it on the store shelves, does that make it necessarily a viable product? And so that's the part where I say we just have to avoid having tunnel vision, listen, go validate the plan that we're about to act upon, and uh, and then we can march ahead with confidence. 
but we need to validate and we need to, to, to avoid that. Well, so, so to use the example for the basketballs, how would you validate uh, Well, the good thing that you and I have today that we didn't have even 10, 15 years ago is in the online marketplace, it's easy for us to go out and for example, if you came to me because you, you wanted me to invest in your idea of purple basketballs, and you said, you know, basketballs are a $12 billion industry, so 1% of that is this, you know, so when I hear that, I think that doesn't mean a lot to me. You know, we, yeah, 1% of that is a big number, yes. If we got that much revenue, we'd be uh, in great shape. But I, what I would rather see is go out and paint some basketballs purple, sell them on Facebook and come back to me and say, we put them online, we sold them at this price, and we sold this number in 24 hours. That means a lot more to me than telling me it's 12 billion. 12 billion Test the market, and I think we can do that online without huge inventories, without huge financial commitment, uh, more so than we could have, you know, years ago. So I think it's an opportunity to take it to the marketplace and validate, you know, set the price point on whatever it is we're selling, whether it's a good or a service or whatever it is. We can know what it will sell for and that there is, in fact, a demand for it. So you look at it very uh, clinically. I, I do. What about the people that are like, I know football basketball is low. They just don't see it yet. People just don't see it yet. Right. Well, like, yeah. You get what I'm saying, sure. right? Uh-huh. You just need to know purple is the way to go because maybe, right. maybe they have uh, scientific data on why purple is a better ball. Sure. Than okay. Then I think it's a timing question. It, to mm-hmm. me, you have to ask yourself if if people aren't just that receptive, and it's going to be an uphill climb, I have to really spend a lot of marketing and, and I have to spend a lot of time selling them on the idea that they really do need a purple basketball, then I have to ask myself, is there another business that makes more sense for me at this time? You know, are there other products that are in demand? You know, I think uh, one of the things I've heard recently that I think makes a lot of sense is we're all guilty of kind of developing a product and then we go out and see if there's a market for it, whereas it makes really more sense to find the market first and then find the product that will serve that market. You know, to go out and find that market and verify demand, identify need and identify demand, and then work to serve that need. Mm-hmm. You know, that just ended up working out better. We should sure. verify that there's a market for what we're selling. So I have my base business, but I've been keeping my eye out for uh, areas of opportunity that I can make some extra money to do something when I see that need. Sure. Oh, look, that's great. Let's see. Let's see about testing it out. Find a partner to put it together. Of course, yeah. And, you know, partnerships, I think, are a big thing. You touched on that. I think what I know now as a business owner and uh, as a consultant is that, you know, something I didn't know early in my career is how to structure a partnership, how to really make something make sense for an investor or partner. And it's something that there, there are resources out there for people to know how to do that. I think that's really important. I think what I would tell somebody who wanted to start a business from nothing, and they had this idea to sell purple basketballs, but they didn't have any cash at all to go, you know, to Walmart and buy a $10 basketball and a dollar's worth of purple paint and paint it. They don't have the funds to do that. With the right approach, they could find a partner who would fund that and help them get started. And I think that's the part that people need to understand is if they don't have the funds to get in business, that doesn't have to be the obstacle to keep them from getting in business. That just means they have to find the right partner that brings the resources they don't possess. And they need to have a sound business plan. But I'm just saying, I think too often we're guilty of kind of sitting back to think, I can't do that because I don't have the dollars. I don't have the capital to execute that particular plan. But that just means giving up a piece of ownership potentially. And of course, there's all different kinds of ways to structure those, as you know. But I think too many times people 
who maybe aren't already in that arena, aren't already in business, uh, there's a fear factor there, and they, so they kind of use that as an excuse not to act on it when, in fact, uh, if it's a sound business plan, then you probably could find a partner and get going. So I've been telling myself is uh, not what I can't do. What can I do? Sure. Okay, right. Sure. You start stressing. Okay, what? What can I do? Sure. That opens everything up. Of course. Yeah. Okay, I don't have $10 to buy back. Right. Or maybe Mark does. Sure. Maybe you lend me 10 bucks. Sure. All right. You need the same thing too. Right. right? Whatever you're going to do. Sure. Right. Little brushes to paint it so you don't cover the line. Uh huh. Of course. Yeah, so you get the point about that. If I had a partner who was willing to put up the $11 for the basketball and the materials, then we have an agreement. If I'm going to fund you and you're going to go sell these basketballs, you go out and sell them on Facebook or sell them online for $20. You come and pay me the $11. We go buy another one. We're in business. You know, I just, you know, we got to take care of our investor and get those resources. I think these are things people understand, but it's, it's interesting how few people will act on a business because that's the limitation. They'll have access to those funds. And that just means finding partners. And it's not easy. It's not like we're going to, you know, walk down the street or put an ad on Craigslist and find a business partner. You know, we just, we have to get out and cultivate, network. And, uh, and but the reality is, you know, if it's a, if it's a sound business plan, you're probably going to find somebody who will participate with you. We just got to keep, Keep knocking on doors and asking questions. And then you keep asking. Kentucky sure. uh, Fried Chicken. Colonel Sanders, he went to was it 256? You know, Walt Disney went to 256 banks. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Uh, Carl Sanders went to, I don't know, a lot of restaurants sure. before he found one that was to use his restaurant. Right, right, right. Of course. Right. And he was 60, 65. Uh-huh. I remember say, seeing some commercial reruns and commercials about, you know, he was there just talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken. Sure. Yeah. yeah, there are examples of that out there, but I just we see it in our own lives, people who are, are uh, and, but I think you know, there's a balance there. You, you, you don't want to get that tunnel vision we're talking about, but if the business plan is sound and you validated it, then you just keep going until you find the right partner. There's somebody out there probably who's prepared to partner and just got to keep going. Yeah, exactly. So, number four? You know, on the other yeah, one a little bit. Yeah, I would say it's just about taking action. Too many, and there, there are a lot of us out there who are perfectionists about a lot of things, and certainly could be true about business. So I'm saying go find good advice, get good feedback. If you've done that, now you've validated your price, um, then there can be this place where, and I see it in my own line of work, and I've been guilty of it at times myself, where we get in this place I hear called paralysis of analysis. You know, you just get frozen because you've analyzed and you question whether you've analyzed enough. And so I would just say there comes a point where as entrepreneurs we need to just act. And so if we validate our plan and we've got the ability to get in motion with our business, there comes a point where we have to recognize that and just take action and get started conducting business. Will it be perfect on day one? Perhaps not. Um, but we will learn in the process of doing that. Yeah, yeah, that. Right, right. Sometimes not perfect day 100. Right, right. That's right. Actually, from my experience, it's never perfect. That's a good way you, you cook it, you make it, you sell it, and then you go, oh, I mean, maybe I could do this. It's the changing. the packaging. Yeah. Sure, sure. I could have approached this uh, buyer, you know, for me, this buyer this way instead of that way. Sure. You don't always know, but sometimes you do. You're like, oh, right. I missed that. Sure. Or that line where uh, you 
tell someone how much it is, and they say yes right away. And as soon as they do that, you go, oh, I right. could charge more. Yeah, right. So I remember years ago, and kind of relates to what we're talking about. Years ago, as a young uh, couple, um, you know, I was thinking about a friend who told us, you know, we were talking about having kids, and they said, if you wait until the perfect time to have kids, you'll never have kids. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that advice kind of ties into what we're talking about here, too. You know, there, there comes a time when you just have to act and, and trust what you've learned and, and just go, march, march ahead, and then you'll figure out the rest as you go. Yeah. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your, uh, the, or the, Oh, it's Potty Pay. Sure. So I've recently moved into the um, invention business. We've got a partner and a company that we're just setting up. And the company is really just meant to sort of facilitate and uh, promote the business or these uh, inventions that we're working on. The first product that we're bringing to market is one that my partner's dad invented. He did his provisional patent. He's now got a full patent. And uh, you'll see that product available on Amazon within a couple of weeks. But that is a, it's called Potty Peg. And what it is, is it replaces the hardware on our toilets, on the back of the toilet seat and lid where we've got brass or plastic hardware. This product will replace that, and it's a plastic post or peg that will slide into the, the recesses on the, the uh, porcelain, and it just snugs up nicely there. So the idea is it's quick removable. So when it's time to clean the toilet, you just simply pop that off, clean up the porcelain uh, well. You're able to clean up the hardware. You've got easy access to the hardware. And so it just makes for a real quick detachment of the lid and the seat and just makes for uh, it's a very economical and it's a quick way to, for those of us out there who might have a little, you know, germophobic tendencies or whatever, we want things real clean. And I, it's not necessarily me, but when... When I clean it, I want to clean it thoroughly. I'm trying to think you're urgent. Right? Yeah, you, you keep bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, it's actually not my product, but I will use it. And that's because when I clean it, I want to clean it thoroughly. And it's always frustrating. The hardware's kind of in the way, and you never feel like you can get it as clean as you want it. And so this will be a product that there will be you know, significant demand on. So we're excited to get it to the market and uh, and get people started uh, trying that out. That's great. It's uh, uh, not out on the market yet. Uh, no. How are you going to test that We've already got it in testing on online, and they're um, they're being already manufactured. So it's going to go to the the online marketplace, and we'll be able to test it out there in that way. Yeah. So How many did you do start with? A thousand pieces, so 500 sets. You know, each each toilet is going to require two, and so 500 sets is what we go for. Right, right. And that's all it is. Yeah, because a little plastic just replaces the hardware screw and the plastic and uh, replaces the hardware that's on the back of the toilet seat now. And, uh, yeah, it's just a real quick retrofit, and uh, we're able to put it in our homes and works on virtually every toilet in the U.S., at least a residential toilet. What, uh, if you're going to offer one bit of advice other than what we've shared so far to someone starting a business or currently having a business, what would it be? You know, I would say if I think about this invention side of the business, I would say back to what we talked about, about taking action and recognizing if you, if you don't have the money for the purple basketball, I would come back to this on the invention side. If you've got ideas and you think there's a demand for a product that you visualize, even if it's just a napkin sketch, understand that there are people out there who can partner and help you take that product through to the rest of the way. Now, obviously, the further I take that down the path myself, the more value and the more ownership I can retain in that intellectual property. But if I would say one thing is understand that if you've got an idea, don't keep it in a file cabinet um, until you can afford to fund it. 
go find the partner who can help you fund that thing and take it to the marketplace because there are ways to get there. And I would just say don't delay. And there's 3D printing now. But that's true. That is so huge. I haven't done anything with it yet. That's a huge It really is. I, oh, I have this idea to have an engineer do it or figure a way to get it done. And I could not you your prototype or you even have, sometimes even, even if you have like what you're saying to test it out, you might have to make 10 of them that you lose money on when you sell them because you know the price point, the cost to manufacture it won't equal the price point you'll sell it. So it might cost you $7, but you can only sell it for $4.99. You can take a loss, but if you find out that they're selling, then you can mass produce them. Right. I, I did my first uh, 2014, three years ago, and I was surprised how economical it was then to do a 3D print. And so it was a nice way to get a prototype and submit for the provisional application. Yeah, great. So uh, just really quick, how can people get a hold of you if they'd like to talk to you about uh, consulting them for their their business? Sure. I would say the quickest way would be through my website, which is BHPH Consulting. BHPH BHPH Consulting. And I'll put that on the uh, video later. Okay, good. Yes. Industry, but that's what they call it. And so, yeah, BHPH Consulting, they'll be able to find links there to contact me that way. Cool. Okay. BHPHConsulting.com. Consulting.com. Right. Thank you guys for watching and listening to the Ultra Light Show. We're lucky to have Jim Rowe come in today. It was a quick uh, decision on the interview, but that's great that he could make it today, so it worked out. And uh, keep an eye out for our next show's ultralight show on audio. Uh, it's a podcast. Find it at blogtalkradio.com slash ultralight. Or now you can go to ultralightshow.com and you'll see our videos and our audios right there. Um, so keep an eye out for everything. And don't forget Ultraperform. Uh, we make Accelerator and wow. Supplements that kick butt. See you guys later. Thanks for listening.